You are listening to The Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, TJ Melanoski. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Waylene Pritchett, Cumberland Presbyterian minister and a licensed counselor. Waylene continues her faith journey and a calling into ministry and the pains of entering into that vocation. She stresses how important it is to walk alongside one another and what it means to be truly heard and understood. Friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Wayling Pritchett. You are a young Christian, and you may be feeling the call to ministry. You explore that from a practical point of view in terms of income, in terms of a job so that you can study, and the community of faith is going, are you sure this is right? Are you sure this is what you're supposed to be doing? How lonely was that? That that was a very, very difficult time. It's almost like I would rather just listen to them and they say, how much better? I mean, I talked to different pastors. They would say, how much better that you just minister to your own family instead of seeking something remote, something we don't even see and know. Um, there are different sayings. And some would say, maybe this is not God's timing. Uh, and some would say, how would it got caught? Maybe God caught, caught you first just for you to be patient and kind and demonstrate to your husband so that he will receive the call as well. So there, there were many different interpretations. And I gradually realized, like, Lord, whatever that way is, I accept. I don't have to stick to my own understanding. But one thing was interesting. Somehow something inside of me that was very strong strongly different and was very strong, almost like prompting. This is almost like what um, the, the prophet Jeremiah was saying, that inside of him, something was kind of burning in the bone, uh, in his bones. So I feel like something stronger, something burning inside. So it was very difficult to a point uh, that I remember that year um, during a spring break time, I already got a job actually, because the year before one day, when going to my old job, somehow some prompting inside of me saying that, go check out the website of Denver Seminary. And I said, the Lord, I was looking the other day, they don't have anything. But the prompting was there. Okay, I'll check. That's easy to follow. So I checked that they opened up a new position. So I applied and I was accepted and I already started a job there. And then I submitted my uh, application for schooling. Well, this is the main idea. I changed my job. So it was pending. I couldn't have a church endorsement. That was the reason why I was talking to different pastors. That's where I received these different interpretations. They would say, wait, be patient, wait for God's timing. Otherwise, you could lose your marriage. Um, but something more burning inside was going on there. It's almost like a, in, in a conflict. Um, it is in a, it wasn't a conflict. It was a strong conflict. So living in that um, tension was not easy to a point um, that was already the next year, spring break, and my application was already pending for months. So I just prayed and said, Lord, I'm going to just fast and, and pray for three days, no food and no water. And whatever result I get is okay with me. That was a time I also told the admissions office. And I just said, you guys got to give me an answer, whether you accept me or you deny me. And I can explain to you why I'm not able to get a church endorsement. So after that three-day prayer, I was just really ready that, Lord, you are the living water and you're the bread. And I was able to go through that and trust that whatever He I need, that he's called me to be, he will provide. So... Talk, finally, I talked to the admissions office and they said, well, normally we would not accept a student in that situation. We would um, um, encourage counseling and, 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 you know, whatever that's needed really for your relationship, for your family. But since we have already known you for half a year, um, we would just 
temporarily accept you into a non-degree program, you can start taking courses and see how that goes. If it goes well, then we can um, always switch you into the degree program. So that was really amazing because I had started my job um, six months earlier. So they, they feel like we've already known you a bit and um, we would like to accept you. So I really see God's hand in that whole process. He truly answered my prayer to uh, lead me to a seminary of a job there for me to go through school. So let's talk about what were you feeling at that particular time? You had fasted for three days. You were seeking an answer. You get a response. So what was happening inside of your your mind and your heart and your body and, and your relationship? What did you do with that good news? TJ, that was a period of time in every way I was so alive. I wouldn't say easy. I wouldn't say not difficult or not challenging, but I was just so alive in, in, in my thoughts, in my prayers, uh, in my diligent um, devotional time. I was reading through the Psalms. Um, I, I was um, sitting in that place noticing, hearing all of this different information and also noticing what is inside. A lot of times very frustrated. Uh, other times kind of coming back to the to, to the conclusion that, that at the end of the day, Lord is the one. He is going to give me a definitive answer. But usually that is a period of tension that no answer is so quick. And each day I just go through that and feeling feeling the tension, feeling the weight, feeling the burden, and I just feeling I'm not going anywhere. What is really going on? So again, coming back to prayer, coming back to word, and I start another day again, and thinking everything through again, and to the same place. It was very repetitive. Um, the only image I can come up with is just that butterfly in the cocoon. You just try to flap. You just try to get away from that cocoon, from that almost feeling like a bondage, right? A place. And, and that does take time, but I trust and believe that was the time a lot of internal strength was gained. And a lot, I feel like faith was just becoming so real and God's presence, his own presence was also becoming so real to me. That's fascinating. So you enter into the school and you start taking courses you're both employee and student there at Denver Seminary. So walk me through this part of your journey. What's happening? What are you experiencing? Uh, many things happened. <laughs> First of all, is still the big question. Did God really call me? Because that's, I feel like the question of my family and a lot of people in the church, did God really call you or are you just acting on your own? So God, did you really call me? So that was an ongoing question in, in almost throughout the, the, the whole school years, five years of school. Did God, God, did you really call me a woman, uh, a Chinese woman who really there isn't any precedent precedence for me to refer to and, and who did not really get that kind of support or agreement from her circles. And, and to a degree, I had to really start everything afresh, everything new. God, did you really call me? So that was uh, an ongoing question um, throughout the whole time. At the end of the day, the Lord just, again, used the scripture to finally really satisfy that question that God can call the stones to, 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 to worship him. Um, why not a woman, a Chinese woman, even though I'm a Chinese woman, even though I'm a Chinese woman who was not supported by her husband, to, but God still can call me if he caught these stones to, to, to break up and to worship uh, with praise. So, um, so that was the first question. Second question was uh, my marriage. So, I already started a school and um, my husband back then, he, um, he was taking care of the children. I said I would, but things had happened in a way that he was taking care of the children, 
and um, but somehow he started a, a legal process um, to ask for support for 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 child endorsement, child support, but not allowing me to see the children at all. So that was also very very difficult. Um, so that was really kind of the end. I approached my mentor and I just said, this is what's going on. And I'm not sure was no overnight uh, with the children. And that was one thing that's really hard. On the other side, I would need to pay all this child support and, and while you're paying for schooling and everything else. Um, so that was the first time um, she, she said, well, I contacted somebody. Maybe you want to call them for counseling. So that is a Christian counseling agency. So I called them and I talked to them about the situation. And then they said, well, possibly you need to talk to a Christian lawyer just to see um, how, how things um, could move forward. But that's already at the end of, I feel like two years um, of my effort trying to really work towards my marriage. Um, so, so in the previous two years, the Lord was still working inside of me to do what I need to do to see if we can truly uh, restore this marriage and restore this relationship. So that was the time I uh, really started to practice as a Christian um, what this other-centered love, what this unconditional love really means. It's not about what I think, what I want, what I wish it's more about really what is really good with the relationship in the glory of, of God. So I, I start to realize that what does love really mean? Love, um, the ultimate form of love is what God has manifested to us through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. When I real when I made the connection between that and what love really should mean in a marriage, in a family. That's where I started to learn to apply. Um, so I went back to my family, to my, to my husband, to the children. And I uh, really said, I would wish that you one thing that you would honor. That's the sense of my calling. But on the other side, um, for the issues or whatever you think the family should do or whatever, I really started to back off. I really started to, to, to see each person's uh, wish and try to honor. Not perfectly, but that was my turn in, in that effort. But then I just realized that the marriage problem was not just my problem. I started to realize that that place where my husband uh, was just really mad at me doing um, life this way now, which is very different than before. Before I would uh, get into a fight with him, but now I start to be silent and that was not comfortable for him. Before I would talk about whatever nasty words he used, I would use or I would even use more and I did not do that anymore. That was unsettling for him. So, so over time, I come to a place, I just really said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding this marriage and I'm not, I'm just going to give this marriage whatever time it needs, but it really needs to take place with some external help. I don't think we're able to sort things through. And, and we, I do care about the children. And I do realize that if we could really see and put in the effort to see this marriage transformed, that is so much to the glory of God. And I'm, I'm all for that. Take whatever time and needs. So that's the place where I kind of hold the boundary that we will need help to with our conversation, with our ongoing uh, relationship. That's a place where he filed for child support. That's where I started to see a counselor and also consult a Christian lawyer. Was this your first introduction to Christian counseling? Did you Could you see back then that this was leading up to maybe a ministry in the future? That was my first encounter with um, Christian counseling. Um, that went on for a period of time. Um, I would say that, yeah, most difficult time uh, when it comes to uh, later on the divorce and um, even just the ability to see my children. 
So that was very supportive, very helpful. It was just so dedicated to me that time and a space. So um, yeah, that was one of the really very um, um, motivational moments for me to say, wow, how, how powerful that, that journey can be. And it's, it's really a very special type of ministry. And um, I, I don't know if it will be something that I could possibly have, but if opportunity comes, I surely would embrace that. So yeah, I think very much so that the, the, the motivation was there already. Weiling, how did you keep it together? Because your time here in the United States, as you're sharing your faith journey with me, is constantly changing and turnover and seeking and yearning. What? How did you keep it all together? Changes in your family, your career, you're a student. What just prevented you from throwing your hands up in the air and go, okay, I give up? No, great question. Great question. Uh, as I, as I see, um, this is really tying everything together that how, how awesomely and wonderfully each of us um, is made and God has given each person very unique uh, traits, mm-hmm. very unique um, um, upbringings that would shape and nurture characteristics. I looking back, I just really see how God has loved me way before um, I become aware of his love. Um, even just in the village growing up, uh, doing a lot of housework and chore and cutting grass to feed pigs and whatever, those um, things, uh, a lot of traits were being nurtured. Um, and one of them was really determination. Somehow he has wired me to um, be able to be determined that there's a goal that I want to work towards that goal. So um, looking back when I, you know, mentioned about the first counseling session, God had it with me on that rice field. So that was really a, a beginning of giving me a goal that I can just focus on that goal and really work the best effort I can towards that. So that has happened um, later on along the journey that God has caught me to school. And this call is precious. And this call is really very hard fought uh, along the way God uh, with me together. So that was something I would never give up. Um, and on the other side, I, I when, when God um, really nudged me to spend time with family to see, really do my part to revive the marriage if possible. That was a goal, so I, I, I did my best. Um, when the job I worked out with my supervisor, that job comes first. If there's any work, I will always to vote on that first and then I'll do my school. And he agreed on that and he supported me for that. So I was able to do the work and, and with, with his approval and continue with the courses and, and reading and, and writing paper and, and all of that. So again, it was a very um, determined goal that all of these things I should do. Um, and of course, it comes to a point when all these are pulled apart and I just felt like I cannot do. I mean, it's that time that I come to the Lord for his strength. Uh, and interestingly, a lot of times the strength comes through him, from him um, with 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 fasting, <laughs> with the fasting was more just dedicated focus on him, knowing that it's really not my own strength, not my own way. Uh, it is through him. So if something really difficult is coming up, it, I know it's beyond my own ability or, or usually just um, fast. So it was kind of back then very easy to do some of the uh, spiritual disciplines that really nourishes that connection with um, God's strength in me, through me. So what was it about the Christian counseling that you were receiving that brought this clarity that fed your soul that helped you as a student and kind of grow and lean into your calling into ministry? So, yeah, very good question. I, I, this is a place where so countercultural uh, to me um, in all culture, it's very communal, very collective. 
It is very much about um, what is generally expected or thought about. It's always that case. What is in the group identity? What is supposed to be? A lot of um, presuppositions over there. So, so with the Christian counseling, uh, it, it's very opposite opposite way. What do you think? What are you experiencing? Uh, what is going on in you? Uh, what are you feeling? These are the questions we were never really asked. We were never really encouraged to, to think about, to answer. So, so I think that counseling, even that format, and of course that format can be um, reflected in many other ways, right? Like, you know, with between me and my mentor and uh, me and a, a spiritual director, but with that counseling, because the topic was just so focused on what is right now going on and that is really blocking you or creating a lot of difficulties. And it is very difficult for you to go through alone or by yourself. So, so that sense of, it, it can sound very dangerously like individualistic, but from my collective background, that was also very refreshing and beautiful that there is this sense of me and I would like to extend that to another person to truly feel heard and understood. Yeah, because I, I wonder if the way Ling back then in those discussions, in those conversations that you were responding with a more communal minded uh, answers because that was your perspective and and it's is human nature as well. The decisions that we make have an impact on the children, on the family, on the community, um, and it has a rippling effect, sometimes good, sometimes bad. So, yeah, I imagine that those were, what an internal struggle you must have been facing. You were, It was freeing, but also the questions may not have been heard or framed in the right way to be able to even answer them? This is such a great question, really good question. This has been like a soul searching question for me all along because <laughs> of my, um, really the cultural ethnic uh, background and even now the relationship I have with my family in China, friends in China. So if I, it was expected that a lot of times you would go after what's norm, what's expected. And, and that is considered good. That was considered something moral, something excellent, something good to do. That you would obey the pastors. You would, you would um, ask someone who can give. And a lot of times I trust and believe they do. They do give a lot of good spiritual guidance that congregations a lot of times are expected to revere and um, to, to, to follow and take. And, and there's a lot good in that. But I just think that in our culture, that has become such an extreme to a degree that it's, I feel like it's hard for God to speak to each individual person in, uh, and, and, and without having that collective as a bigger force than God. And this is always an ongoing struggle, Amy, what is, I mean, a lot of times I'm thinking if it were somebody else, they would have maybe said, hey, yeah, you guys are right. I really need to really focus on my family. I mean, it has impact on my children. So I think something deep down intuitively, I'm thinking if this is just the same pattern all the time, I'm only becoming an, an accomplice to a system Mm -hmm. there that there's a lot of he says she says that kind of say but intuitively not really feeling that is truly from God that has constantly been a struggle I, I feel like when I look back when I interact with especially Chinese people or Chinese Christians something always comes out in me wondering is this from the culture or is this from God and I think this question might even be able to be placed in a broader situation with even many other Christians that is that true each individual Christian, even each individual Chinese female Christian, are they really feeling that direct relationship with God and really truly feeling such just an 
adored daughter of God and that kind of relationship and, and really having their own identity and a voice. Um, again, it can sound very dangerous as a feministic kind of thing. And, and I know that, but on the other side, because of that kind of lack of emphasis, even awareness for, for that kind of individual voice so that you sometimes receive from God individually and, and talk to individually instead of always placed under the husband and under the, the church leaders or authority. Yeah, and it's really hard for me to understand like the honor and shame society that comes more with the communal aspect of of decision making and belief systems that we find in other ethnic brothers and sisters that it must be difficult and I, and I, you've done a great kind of painting this portrait of the struggles and the determination and the fortitude that you have experienced through uh, throughout your life, almost well, all your life <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so, if we could, you let's go back. We we were talking about your life as a uh, Denver Seminary employee and a student and receiving counseling, and also exploring the call to ministry, whatever that may look like. So fast forward, um, I did finish 10 years of uh, graduate school at Denver Seminary. I, um, up to this day, I um, graduated in the 19, was working uh, as an intern and then later two years at a Christian counseling organization. And then last year, I also um, become a, a, a licensed last year, a licensed professional counselor and I started a private practice. And we were exploring with the um, Bell Crystal Presbytery. There's a, um, a ministry um, headed by um, Reverend Marty Erring and, and some others uh, for the um, formation counseling service. And we were praying and thinking, look how um, counseling ministry can really uh, be brought into churches as partners to provide professional counseling to church congregations and uh, the, the neighborhood, the broader community that had started in different states, uh, mainly in New Mexico and, and uh, Georgia. And, and we were talking about starting that in Colorado. So, so now um, with that, the church, I'm, I'm no longer with um, 316. I'm just attending a church next to my home. It's a, a pretty vibrant community church. And I'm trying to involve as much as I can more from the counseling counselor's background, just kind of, again, as I said, um, sitting with people from where they are now and, and see this in this journey, how, where they can be. And hopefully, I don't, I don't know how things will transpire, but I'm thinking I have some glimpse of future ministry of truly starting that formation counseling service here in Colorado and going into um, further study and a ministry of really helping Christians go through a lot of emotional pain and a family of, of origin issues that are really blocking them from receiving the abundant life in Christ. This is the one area that just needs some kind of different approach than a lot of the approach, great approaches the church has been doing, and which is really the bottom-up approach. You can include a lot of uh, components there, like you know, mentoring, um, spiritual friendship, um, spiritual director, and, and, and a counselor. And it's it's very much a bottom-up approach over there. It's, a lot of times it is just really to deal with a lot of deep emotional pain and family of origin issues. In my private practice and also in the previous years at the agency, I have come across many Christians who opened up to me and, and, and shared a lot of that deep 
stuff and to see how the how these things are impacting them from more effective um, ministry, more um, um, better, more effective relationships in the family and with others. And, and how that is blocking the way. And sometimes people just have a little bit glimpse of ideas of that is through a journey to where they feel so much more free. So I see how that area can become some kind of parachurch ministry. And, and uh, along the way, um, that is something I'm praying about, I am seeking and see how God is going to transpire along the way. So that is one big area uh, of how this counseling ministry can really be um, a, a ministry come alongside the local churches to, to um, create more vibrant, more um, 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 stronger um, community, Christian communities. So that is, uh, I feel like, one big dream and one kind of big vision that God has placed in front of me. Another part is always there in the back of my head, which is, what does my Chineseness have to do with me as a Christian and um, professional identity as a counselor and also as a minister for the gospel to reach them? This is always constantly a uh, a part of me. I remember the initial sense of calling is to um, be called ministers for, for the Chinese ministry. And me as a Chinese has, has its core meaning and has its deeper sense. And I feel like this is not the end. There's something about my Chineseness with so much, so many Chinese that God has a heart for, that God loves, that really could hear the gospel and, and what way, what channel, especially in terms of all that is going on in China. Now, um, it is a very unsettling time in China with COVID and everything else. So these two things, more present is the ongoing counseling ministry and something back in my head is what does my Chineseness have to do with really Chinese ministry according to my calling? And so here we are again, Waylene, living in that tension of unanswerable questions in the moment. This journey that you've been sharing with me is this, this tension of seeking answers for questions that are yet to be answered. What advice do you have for those who aren't comfortable or always uh, don't always want to live in the tension of mystery and of the unknown? You don't have yeah. to answer. Yeah, well, you don't have from to answer. my own experience. Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, yeah. I have, I have really something to share. I feel like um, so. I realize I'm pretty determined and on the other side, I'm pretty bold and I feel like anything good in life, especially when it comes to um, a calling um, is the boldness to be willing to take on risks because um, nothing is really for certain placed in front of us. God really encourages us to, to live out the sense of calling, not like, a minion, right? Not like a minion, <laughs> but really as a human person, as a Christ disciple, to be willing to take risks, to not to be afraid of mistakes. And so many times we've learned from mistakes. So um, that's just a sense of me. I just feel like be bold. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Um, be true to what is working inside of us by through the prompt of the spirit and they keep going. And, and along the way, the Lord is going to correct us. The Lord is going to lead us. The Lord is going to maybe even divert us to the places we need to go, but um, we need to be bold. So my own weakness and shortcoming is that sometimes we cannot be too bold to go ahead of God. So that is something for me to keep in mind. Share with me how you found the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, or how did the Cumberland Presbyterian Church find you? So we have to mention about this couple, the Hesses in Colorado. Uh, Rick Hess is an Old Testament professor at Denver Seminary, and and. He and his wife uh, co-lead a ministry and later on become a constitutionalized 
a, a church, approved church of the denomination. So um, somebody, somebody on the seminary campus, they were saying that they started, I think her name is Peggy. Peggy started, a, they said they started a, a visiting this 316 church. Um, maybe, maybe you want to go and take a look. It's a small, but it's very uh, focused on personal connection. So, so that kind of appealed to me back then. And I said, okay, I'll go visit. So that's how I um, visited and stayed. I mean, even people come and go, they, they changed, but I stayed. I stayed from 2013 all the way, pretty much till this year. This year, then I shared with them that um, because of my sign, also because of sense of God's leading, I'm attending this uh, bigger community church over here, just near my home. So it is through um, the Hesses and their journey of becoming an uh, organized, uh, constitutionalized church of, of the denomination that I also become a part of the denomination. What is it about the Cumberland Presbyterian Church that you find fascinating and attractive? And how does that exhibit, and when I say it, how do we as an institution, an organization, as a people, where do we best share that faith? It is the confession of faith, and it is also because of the history that the origin of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church was that spirit-led um, diversion of the direction, right? I mean, originally they could have just followed the rules and ignored all these people in the inner states, their need to hear the gospel. So, so they followed the leading of the spirit. They went through almost like a very difficult period of time in the desert time, right? And for this uh, denomination to be birthed in that spirit-led place all the way here and developed this um, doctrine and, and um, the confession of faith, which is so generous, but very um, biblical, historical Christianity focused, right? But very generous. Um, a lot of um, the 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 points reading through the confession of faith, recognizing, uh, I mean, in some of the practices as well, right? So, so the, the confession of faith and also the practices of ordaining women and, and almost the earliest to adopt the black clergy and um, away from some kind of the very rigorous debate, doctrinal debate um, um, and uh, in terms of salvation. So, so I just felt like reading through the confession of faith, it was just very freeing and refreshing instead of reading through some of the doctrines that can be very limiting. Um, it, it, I, I had an analogy. I may feel like sometimes reading through some of the doctrines of other denominations, you feel like you're trying to get away through an alley. While you're reading through the Confessions of Faith of Cumberland Presbyterian Church, you feel like you're led to the top of a hill, a mountain, and it's just, just so broad, so free, so generous, and, and it's, it's there. This is the way of God for all people. But also do not stick to the very rigid dogma that only this way and only that there is a lot of generous space to to allow God to work the ways he works very unexpectedly a lot of times and I think the confession of faith of Cumberland Spring Church Presbyterian Church holds that very big view and a very generous space for that. Have you found your home in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church? Because we were talking yes, earlier, and, yeah, we were talking mm -hmm. earlier of that search of finding a community where you could be wailing, where you could be bold and determined and a person of fortitude. I, I would say yes. Um, this past seven years has been really good uh, journey uh, gradually. So um, this March is supposed to be really like the first Presbytery meeting um, and because my flight was canceled and I wasn't um, able to go there. Um, but I really do intend to find, find a mentor um, 
within the presbytery and uh, try to go to uh, every presbytery meeting and, and even join some committees. And I would love to just to continue to connect with as many um, ministers as possible and along the way um, finding really, yeah, just just the nurturing and the connection and, and, and really the home, the spiritual home, yes. Let's go back to something that you were talking about earlier and incorporating Christian counseling into the, the church as we know it today and for the church in the future. In terms of your visioning, what could that really look like? What could the day-to-day operation, um, I've already made it sound like an institution, and I didn't mean to, but what could Christian counseling look like uh, as the church moves forward into the 21st century? It's- Especially with millennials and later generations, relationship is such a core component and and, um, really just feeling heard and understood individually is such a core uh, task um, for people to really willing to come alongside and really be a part of the community. Um, I I feel like Christian uh, counseling ministry really can be a good add-on as a type of ministry to to nurture and even find ways how to really welcome everybody and hear everybody's voice in a way that is really Christ-honoring and Christ-centered, but meanwhile also on the other side, not um, losing sight of uh, of our doctrine, of of the gospel, just for the sake of, of relationship. So I... Um, I'm still in the way of exploring how that kind of ministry will be like, besides just the one hour in the counseling room, how do we meet with people uh, with a very rich um, relationship, nurturing type of atmosphere with people uh, in the church and even as an evangelistic uh, effort as well. Isn't it wonderful to think that maybe a person's first encounter with the good news is through counseling or is through group therapy where you're able to really connect the struggles and joys and celebrations of life with a faith that you are just being introduced to really for the first time. It's fascinating to think about that through the the care that can come through counseling, someone may hear or be more receptive to hear the good news in Jesus Christ. It's really fascinating. I resonate with you, absolutely. But on the other side, I also have that sense as, Lord, how really do I do that well? Do the way that I can see that is really working. I'm constantly, again, in the struggle of honoring and listening to others. And meanwhile, how really bring into awareness of really the deep need of each person to have the relationship with God because the relationship with me that they feel like this space is helpful is only so transient and 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 so temporal mm-hmm. and and i really deep down feel this is not what i'm called to do in its own end by its own end i'm really called to do to establish help people have wanting and establishing a relationship with god their own god their own lord mm-hmm. Well, I would be doing a great disservice if I didn't ask you, you know, clergy burnout is real. What recommendations, what suggestions do you have for Christians and for ministers to take care of themselves in a healthy way, you know, mentally, spiritually, and physically? This is a, okay, also a great question. I have constantly been asking myself as well. <laughs> I, I did well for a season and then I see myself lapsing on that and I try to come back. So I, first and foremost, I will recognize 
uh, maybe from my own experience that we do go through this kind of uh, waves. Some sometimes we do really good, and other times work got in the way or whatever other reasons it could cause us to not to be very consistent. Always just gently come back and get on, on the way of life, the rhythm of life. The rhythm of life is very holistic, right? So yeah. um, I, I, that reminds me of this, this um, charge given by Reverend Marty Goering. He's just really said, you know, devotion before service. It's always important to remember devotion before service. It's mm. not by our own power. So spiritually maintaining this ongoing connection with the Lord, with the spirit, on a daily basis, if not daily, I mean, come to understand if it's not daily, then that can be dangerous. So always come back together to maintain this daily connection through devotion with the Lord. Um, take on healthier diet, diet, a lifestyle is always important. <laughs> yeah, and then always get in some active time as well. And I see myself doing really good sometimes. And <laughs> relapsing other times and then trying to come back that's my journey but again i think we all know what is really good we just encourage each other to always come back to that good rhythm yeah you know you made me think of something i hadn't thought of before is when we miss the rhythm maybe a step to be added is to forgive yourself because you can't always stay in rhythm life happens that may disrupt that rhythm. And then that sense of guilt that can happen. Oh, I didn't take a walk today, or I didn't exercise, or I ate cake instead of an apple, or whatever it is that it may be for that individual is, is to forgive, because the last thing I think the ministers can do is just layer on that guilt, that sense of, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing it well enough, and we just keep pushing our own uh, back and further away, and our own can be our own self and our family as well. Um, I think it's a real, it's a real temptation to be able to do those things. And with the counseling and experience that you have, it I needed to ask you before we jumped off this conversation to hear your input and insight. Really good question. Um, a lot of people do that, me included, that um, sometimes we have a higher expectation of ourselves. So when we fail, we have a terrible time and then that does not help. Um, I really feel like that kind of gentleness, uh, this is a, a saying that I usually share with clients is that a lot, of a lot of times God is more gentle with us than ourselves when it comes to... <laughs> to moments like this. Um, he sees us as child. You fall down, you get up, and you keep going, right? He he is he sees this as us as his children taking on this journey. And we see ourselves as more like someone who's supposed to go steady and fast and effective all the way. So it, yeah, at the end of the day, we have expected us or has looked at us as someone really we are not. We, if we take on God's posture towards us as a child coming to him and, and constantly um, reach out to him and, and, and asking the support and help, and, and he always responds with, with a lot more acceptance, a lot more acceptance of who we are, just like Jesus was always saying to the disciples, it's like, you have little faith. And sometimes that's what, who we are, but we just need to always right. come back and, and, and accept ourselves as God has accepted us and, and just keep going in the direction we need to go. Yeah. And I don't know if that becomes easier or harder as I get older. I become more aware of know, my limitations. But yeah, but I don't know if that makes it any easier. Um, but I did want to reach out and, and to ask you to help others to think about themselves in healthy ways. And that's physically and spiritually and mentally and not to neglect those aspects of, of our life because it, it, um, it affects our discipleship. Absolutely. Yes. 
Wei Ling, thank you so much for carrying me through your life and giving me a perspective of you growing up and the struggles and the tensions and the boldness it takes to keep asking God and seeking what God has for you. You're a wonderful example uh, for me and feel honored to, to know you and call you a colleague in ministry. Thank you so much, TJ. It's such an honor for me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cumberland Road podcast and all of your support that you have given me. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider downloading and subscribing. My conversation with Wei Ling keeps pointing me back to the French philosopher Amin Malouf and his book In the Name of Identity. So I close with these words. He writes, if anyone wants to save his own language from dying out, if anyone wants to make the culture he grew up in known and respected by the world as a whole, if anyone wants to see the community he belongs to attain freedom and democracy and well-being, the battle is not lost in advance. Examples from every continent show that those who fight skillfully against tyranny, segregation, and contempt and neglect often win as do those who fight against famine and ignorance and epidemics. We live in a wonderful age in which anyone with an idea, whether it be inspired, perverse, or useless, can communicate it to millions within 24 hours. If you believe in something and have enough energy and passion and love of life, you can find among the resources offered by the world the means to make some of your dreams come true.